we are doing a quick two-week sermon series uh, called Keep the Change. And if you've been around Family Bible Church for a while, some of you will see, like, I've heard this before. How many of you have been through FPU before, Financial Peace University? Okay, so some of you, right, have been through it. This isn't a cult. It's not a thing. I mean, it's not like, no, I, you always hear so much about it. But um, many of you then will be like, well, I've heard this before, and that's fine. I'm not preaching FPU, by the way. I'm not going to do that. We're going we're gonna to talk about two things over the next two weeks, this week and next week. The first is today, how we can take hold of our finances or take hold of our money, and, that, and why it's important that we do that, that we be responsible. And then next week and week two, we're talking about how then we can let go of our money. And, and I think both those lessons are important to learn, that we need to take responsibility and we need to also let go. Every time this conversation of money comes up, um, there's always some yeah, but conversations, like yeah, but this, yeah, but that, yeah, but. You know, one of the big conversations that our country has right now is, yeah, but I have all this student loan debt. We're going to talk about that in a, in a minute, right? Um, yeah, but you don't understand I have to have a reliable car to get to work. Yeah, but you don't understand I, I have to pay this rent or I have to... Um, these groceries are outrageous, right? I just saw eggs like $4 a dozen, right? Like, what's going on with the chickens? Are they going to strike? I don't understand. Eggs. And so there's always yeah, but things, but I want to share some things with you as we get started this morning. I have a question. Um, how many of you, there was an old show uh, years and years ago, but how many of you would like to be a millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? Okay, all right, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, you, you might be surprised to learn this, I, as I was. I was shocked. There, there was a saying that whenever I was in FPU that said, the average American citizen, now get this, will earn over a million dollars in their lifetime. One of the things that I have an opportunity to do is I serve as the vice president of the Haxum, the food pantry in Highland, right? And, and one of the things I have a burden for our, our, our clients at the food pantry is that they would take responsibility over what they do have. And they are, they are not well off, but they have some resources, but when you hear that the average American will make over a million dollars in their life, that kind of blows my mind, right? It, it was so, I was so like, really? That I Googled it to see, and you know what? It's not true. It's not true. The average American will make $1.65 million in their lifetime. $1.65 million. And that's an average career span. Now, how many of you started working at 15? Or, yeah, or 16? You guys are going to go, that's, you got to run up on this, right? They're talking about people who usually come out and get into the workforce. How many of you have, um, well, let's not ask that question, but there's another number I was surprised to learn. I was going to say, how many of you have bachelor's degrees or master's degrees? Don't raise your hand, but you can if you want. I'll look at you guys showing off. That's fine. You're smart. Uh, anyway, Jesus will forgive you for that pride. $2.8 million dollars on average, if you have a bachelor's. Master's goes up from there. If you're in the professional profession, it's even more than that. This seems incredible, doesn't it? Is that true? I started doing the math, like with a calculator. How can that be? All true. The truth is that there's so much money that passes through our fingers, and we all say, we want to be a millionaire, but what are we doing about that? Now, okay, wait a minute. I know not all of you raise your hands for you want to be a millionaire. Here's another question for you. Who wants to be a generous person? Yeah. Who wants to be able to just like, just be super generous? Yeah, that's fun. Isn't it fun? Yeah. So um, th there's a lot of us that enjoy that as well. Like the, the idea of being generous. 
What we can do is, matter of fact, the series today is called Keep the Change. How many of you would like to be able to go to a restaurant and just go keep the change? Isn't that a fun moment with somebody? You know, you put down something, especially something that's really ridiculous, you know, just keep the change. Go through the holiday season, you bless everyone, keep the change. No, 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 don't bring that back to the table, I don't need that. That's fun. But you know what? To be generous, you have to, we have to be good stewards, don't we? We'll talk about that this week and next. Here's one last then. Okay, so some of you want to be millionaires, good for you. Some of you want to be generous all the time, good for you. How many of you never want to think about money again? <laughs> you just can't stand the idea of money. It just drives you crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, you like, you like, you just have this reaction like, oh, money is gross, you know, like, what, what, what are we going to do? Um, what does the Bible say? It says, um, money is the root of all evil. Now what it says? What? Yeah, money, right? The people who don't like money, you know what I'm saying. Money is the root. If, just, if we could just get rid of money in the world, it would be, we would have tambourines, you know what I mean? World peace would break out. Yeah. But you were violently shaking your heads like, that's not what it says. No, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. So there is, you know, the other side of that. But it's not money itself. As a matter of fact, there is two categories of people who are historically obsessed with money. I'm going to just share this. Like I said, who wants to be generous? Who wants to be a millionaire? And who wants to um, not worry about money again? There's two groups of people who find themselves usually obsessed with money. And it's those who have far too little, just got to get that next check, and those who have far too much. But there's a big old middle place where you can live in this way. We can live a generous life where you're not obsessed about money. You're not worried about it all the time. And that's, that's super cool. So we're going to talk about how we can do that. Two points next two weeks. How to take hold of our money today. How to let go of some, our money uh, next week. And that's not just, you know, like I said, stick around. You might be surprised at some of the things that we will learn. Um, I recently um, was dealing with someone who was being very generous. Why is it important that we take hold of our money? They're being very generous with something, and they said to someone, yeah, you can have that. Sure, take it. I don't, I don't care. And uh, I was like, wow, that's a very generous person, until I realized it wasn't theirs. <laughs> this is a government problem, by the way, not to get all, you know, governmental about this, but sure, we'll pay for that, because it's not theirs. <laughs> uh, here's the secret, it's ours. Anyway, let's not talk about that right now. Let's just move on because we're gonna talk about how we can be personally responsible. We're not gonna fix the government. We're not gonna fix the world. But we're gonna, we're gonna think about our own finances and how we can fix our financial situations. This is gonna be an overview really quick. We're gonna kind of walk through here. But, and I actually didn't even put fill in the blanks in our engagement sheet today. I actually just put blank filled in, all right? They're already ready to go there. So the first thing I wanna share with you this morning is that you have to write it down. You have to write it down. I'm going to talk to you this morning from experience I've had, not just theory. I've done it in my own life for almost 20 years now. But not only that, I've talked through many, many people. I've taught a whole bunch of classes. I'm not an expert, but there are some things that you learn that are really important. I'm going to talk to you about why that's important. But you have to write it down. I'm going to share with you from the Gospel of um, Luke, chapter 14, and just a few verses here, um, 28 to 33. What were 28 up on the screen for you? 2033, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, this is Jesus speaking, will he not first sit down, he or she, and estimate the cost to see if he or she has enough money to complete it? Because if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it is going to ridicule him, saying, 
this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. 31. Or suppose a king is about to go fight a war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace on the road. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus is teaching um, this idea and, and that we ought to be serious. I love that in both of these stories, the tower builder and the king, that you sit down and give it consideration. And, and uh, by the way, this isn't just found here. I just don't want to prove, I don't, I don't want to quote text all over, but, you know, what is it about that our names are written in a book of life? Like, what is it about writing? Well, let alone the, the word became flesh the, and, and dwelt among us, you know? Like, what's going on that God says it's important to write things down? I'm going to confess something to you. I'm not a list maker. I know some of you are. I'm just not a list. I don't make a to-do list very often. I do sometimes, but not very often. So some of you are naturally doing this, but it's really important. I want to talk to you about why it's important. Why is it important to sit down and consider what you're about to do? I think there's three major areas just thinking practically and how we should do this. The first is this, and this is really serious. No matter where you are, we're going to talk about where you are in the financial journey of your life. First is this. Write down what you owe. Write down what you owe. I can tell you from experience that this is a hard process. As a matter of fact, this is a process that usually when you sit down and do it, you have to go back and redo it and redo it. I want to be honest and say this. It's really scary sometimes to write down what you owe. I've heard students talk about the student loan debt in tears because of what they owe. I've known people who have, have felt like they've made too many bad decisions financially. And, and rather than write it down and see what they actually owe and call the companies and find out, they just go, I just can't even think about it. But the problem is this. If we don't think about it, it doesn't get better. You can't solve the problem if you don't know what the problem is. I remember one time I was sitting with somebody kind of going through, and, and I don't care about people's business. I have that, I'm like... Um, that fish in the movie Dory or whatever forgets everything. So like it's a super, it's like a spiritual superpower for me. <laughs> so they can meet with me, and I'll be like, I'll be like, I don't care, just write that stuff down. And 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 then after we met a few times, they're like, there's this other thing I didn't want to really write down. But unless you're willing to write it down for yourself, let me tell you, whenever Chris and I first did this all those years ago, it was scary. And you know, we had to confront a lot of bad decisions. Why did we do that? But that was a starting place. That was a place to begin what you owe. So the truth is that most people are in debt. We're going to talk about that. Most people are in debt. That's where we're going to start for most folks. But write down what you owe. The second thing you want to write down is what you are doing or what you want to do. And I think those go together, what you're doing, what you want to do. Now, I'm going to say a bad word this morning. I hope you'll forgive me. We're all Christians here. But I'm going to say the word budget. I know. I know. Some of you are ready to leave it. You're like, I'm out of here. I'm never coming back. You're talking about budgets in this church. What's going on? Believe me, leadership team here, we do a great job of budgeting. Anyway. <laughs> we do have a budget, if you want to see it. It's kind of there. Um, but here's what I want you to know, and there's actually a great quote on your sheet that says, um, budgeting is not, um, budgeting is telling your money where to go, not trying to figure out where it went. 
Okay, I want to unpack that. Let me say something else about budgeting real quick. Budgeting is a tool, not a weapon. <laughs> See, the problem is some of us think, coming out of corporate over, and everyone, they use the budget to fight. You know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withhold funding from your department, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take away your allowance, right? That was like the early budget fights in my house. You know, you lose your allowance, you know? But it's more about you taking responsibility and me of what we actually have. So the moment that you put a dollar in my hand, I'm the caretaker of that dollar. No matter how it got there, no matter what I did to get that, I now have to decide how I spend it. Why would I say you have to write down what you're doing now and what you want to do? Here's how it works. You have to write down what you're doing now, which is also a hard exercise, because it's the truth of what you've been doing. I can tell you this, the first time that Chris and I did our budget together, we discovered that we were overspending by several thousand dollars a month. I was going to school to be a pastor. And we scratched our head and, this is a math problem. This is why it hurts so bad. This is why we're fighting about money. This is what's going on. We, we saw it in black and white and we had to confront it. Um, then we did a budget of what we wanted to do, and we're like, and we just had a dream sheet. We're like, I, want, I wanted a big books budget, and we wanted a big car budget and all that. And then we looked at what we had, and the numbers didn't work. So then we had to go, okay, that was our dream. Now let's go to reality. What do we have to do? And it was a bunch of years of rice and beans and beans and rice. That's just our story, by the way. Doesn't have to be your story. I remember one time I was meeting with somebody, talking about their budget, and... Um, their budget never made sense. We met once a month. As a, I'll talk about accountability partners in a moment. But we met once a month to be accountable. I mean, and again, I just like, so why isn't this working? Like, I don't know. These, these, the budget's out of money, and I don't have enough money to make it. I don't know what's going on or whatever. And we were both scratching our heads. And then all of a sudden they said, you know, I've, I've, I smoke. I didn't put that. I, I go, you smoke? I mean, that's fine. Uh, cigarettes are expensive. <laughs> How much do you smoke? And they told me I would say smoke. Like, no judgment zone. I'm like, okay, so let's write down the price. That's per week. Yes, yeah, per week. You know, per day, then per week, then per month. And then they had to look at that number and go, oh, I spent that much for smoking. Now, here's the thing. I said, I don't care if you smoke or not. You just got to make that math work. You're going to have a problem until you make that math work. That's the funny thing about it is it's not about telling people what to do with their life at all. You do what you want to do, but do it on purpose. And be honest with yourself what you're doing. Remember another time I was being with somebody? And when I tell these stories, I'm not being, belittling anybody because I just think we're all stuck in this kind of chaos of finances, personal finances. I think one of the things they should do in high school is teach us personal finances. That'd be so huge, right? Teach us how to do those things. But I was meeting with somebody and they were in financial hardships and they were, you know, I'm really bound up here. What are we going to do? And, and uh, we sat down and did the, tried to do a budget and figure out what the income was and the outgo was and stuff like that. And, and uh, they said, uh, well, this is, they were about to lose their house at the time, right? They were about to lose their house. And they said, um, well, if this keeps going, I'm going to have to cancel my cable. My heart sank. You're going to lose your house. I'm not mad about cable, but do you, you write that down? You're, you're going to be on the street, but you're going to have cable until you are. What's going on in our decision-making that we just live in this space of obliviousness? And I did it too, and I still do it on some things. I'm not saying that. I'll talk about that in a minute. This isn't perfect. Write down what you are currently doing and what you want to do, and then do it on purpose. It's not a weapon. It's a tool. A couple things about this. When you first do it, it's not going to work. 
Don't be discouraged. It's not going to work. You're going to write it down. You're going to forget stuff. You're going to write more stuff down. You're gonna, and you're gonna, but over time, you're going to figure out what you're actually doing. And can I say one more thing real quick and we move off of this? Getting your credit card statement and having your credit card company tell you what categories you're spending money in is not deciding where to spend money. That's showing you where you spent money. And you know what the funny thing is? The credit card companies know this. That's why they do that in your bill, because it makes you feel good. Oh, look, I spent this much on household. But you don't know what or why or was that, was that your plan? They're just telling you what happened. Actually, I think that they actually prosper when you don't know what's happening. Something to think about. It won't be easy. It won't be right right away. But the more you do it, as you repeat over time, over months, over years, it'll make more sense. I know some of you are like, ugh, gross, budget. I get it. But you got to write it down. I'd encourage you to. Third thing here, and then we'll move on. you got to write down what you owe. you got to write down what you're doing or what you want to do in a budget. And then you got to write down what you own. This is something recently. I was talking to someone, and they're like, well, what about your assets and stuff? This is like a financial person or whatever. And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, well, do you have a 401K? I'm like, yeah, I've got one from that company and one from that. I don't know. And they're like, here's your homework. <laughs> Go home and write down everything you own. Because <laughs> you don't even know what you got. And I was like, oh, I could do that. And they're like, you know you're getting older, right? Do you want your loved one to not know? Does Chris want me not to know? Do you not want, you know, if you got kids, my mom, does not, she not want me to know what is where? His advice was this, write it down all in one spot and put it somewhere safe where, God forbid, when your time comes, and for me as a Christian, I go, woo, you know, it'll all be known. Something you gotta work on. So what you owe, what you're doing, or what you want to do, budget, and what you own, what you have. Last thing, if you're married or if you're in a serious relationship with someone, you should do this together. This isn't one person does it, another person just goes, woo, this is fun. It'll never work. You gotta get down together and make a plan together. Be on the same page, it's important. Uh, I said, to you, I talked to you about a, a partners in this. If you're young, and we, we've done this with a bunch of young people as well, so there's no like age limit, there's no bottom end age limit on this, right? The earlier you start this stuff, the better off you're gonna be. I would encourage you to get a parent or a sibling or someone you trust who's not gonna tell you what to do, but listen to what you plan to do and see what they, you know, get some feedback. That's super helpful. But if you're in a marriage, it's important that you agree on what you're trying to do financially across the board. We'll talk more about that next week as well in the giving portion. Okay, so that's the first thing. Write it down. Write it down. I think I made a point. Here's the second thing. Don't follow the crowd. Don't follow the crowd. And this is going to be a little counterintuitive perhaps, but I have some verses that I want to share with you from the Bible, and then we're going to talk through... um, these things. So the first is Proverbs uh, 21 20. I'm going to have it up here on the screen. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Um, I remember this great story I heard of some siblings, and uh, they got ice cream. They got ice cream together from the ice cream truck. It was a big treat. And it was a hot day in St. Louis. And the siblings were eating ice cream, just having a good time. And then the one sibling said to the other sibling, I bet I can eat my ice cream faster than you. And the other sibling said, no, you can't. And the other sibling ate their ice cream really, really fast. And then the first sibling said, I have ice cream and you don't. Don't follow the crowd. The fool consumes everything. And let me say this. We live in a culture that consumes everything. We consume more than we even have the possibility of owning. 
We could learn something from the generations past who learned to be conservative in their finances. We could learn something about a rainy day fund or waiting or being ready, not being in a hurry. Here's something about it. Don't follow the crowd. If you're making a decision about a big item, sleep on it. It'll be there. The salesman don't want you to think, if you leave right now, this is a one-time offer. You'll never get it again. Walk away. Guess what they do? They're there the next day. Hey, you're back with your money. (laughs) It's fine. You can do your own thing. This is why it's important for you to know what you are doing. Um, A couple more verses here. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. uh, Paul writes to the church and he says, don't be misled. Uh, Bad company corrupts good character. Now this is an interesting passage because this is the Apostle Paul and he's teaching about the Pharisees, right, and Pharisaical teachings, and he was a Pharisee. But he's like, don't, don't, just don't follow the crowds. Think for yourself. You make some decisions, good character, and, and then continue on. Um, don't follow them. Here's another one. This is from Matthew 15, 14b. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, when the blind follow the blind, they both fall into a pit. Have you heard the limiting principle? You just run right off the cliff, and all you're doing is you're just running through life, and you're like, everybody else is doing it, man. I got to do it too, and you're not thinking at all, but you're just going right off the cliff with everybody else. That's scary. How hard is it to be a limbing in the middle of a crowd going, Urk. you know, these people are running off the cliff. Stop. Don't follow the crowd. Don't get caught up in the hype. It's okay. You have time. Make your own decisions. Here's why am I saying this, man. Our culture, and I'm going to talk about some examples of this. Our culture is just racing, and our country is doing it, and there's a whole thing there we can't get into, but personal responsibility, racing toward indebtedness. You know what the Bible says? This is one of the great passages in Proverbs 22, 7 says this. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Catch that. The borrower is a slave to the lender. It doesn't like the borrower is getting the cool stuff. You know, they're going to pay for it eventually. They're in slavery. Maybe you know this all too well because I would say to you, hey, if you're not happy with your situation, just quit and do something else. You're like, I can't. I can't. I owe people. I remember the first time I felt this, I was, I was working at a job in St. Louis, and I, I went down there, and I thought, I'm so sick of this. I'm just going to quit, and it hit me. I can't quit. I owe too many people too many things. And this is before... We did, or right around the time we started FPU. The borrower is slave to the lender. Another way you can say this is like dump debt, stop. You know, like if you're dating debt, just stop dating debt. Um, I remember whenever I was in high school, I, I got my first credit card, and I was so excited. I think it was for Sears or JCPenney, which are, are they even existing anymore, those stores? And I remember I went in, and I got my credit card, because they offered it to me. They're like, did you like $5 cash back to get a credit card? And I'm like, yes, of course I would. And then I got a credit card, and they passed me. I was like 17. I mean, I had a job since so I was 15. I'm like, yeah. And you know what I had? There was this Levi jean jacket that I always wanted one because, I don't know, somebody cool had one, and I always wanted it, and I took it off the rack, and I charged it on my credit card, and I went home with my Levi jean jacket. I was so excited about it, because my parents always bought me clothes off the discount rack. You know what I'm saying? So I had a Levi jacket, and uh, I, I, I guess they send you little pieces of paper in the mail to say, hey, you got to come back and pay for that jacket, 
And I was like, I didn't look. I didn't open those. Like, I don't get mail at 17, just right in the old uh, file 13. And then uh, I got notification that I was, had bad credit <laughs> because I never paid for my Levi jean jacket. Oh, guess what? Later on, whenever I got married and we tried to borrow, they said, you have bad credit because <laughs> you never paid your bill. Okay, that's just one story, but I had other, I had other things. I, I borrowed for a truck. I paid for the truck to build my credit. You know, was, that was wise. Let's, let's get a good credit score so I can, you know, we borrow for a house. You know, we borrowed and borrowed, things like that. Um, I walked onto my college campus for the first time. And uh, I was brand new on college campus, and uh, they had a booth where they're getting out free T-shirts if you sign up for a credit card that had the college logo on it. Well, that's cool. I wanted a free shirt. I signed up. Thankfully, I didn't get it because I had bad credit, but I got the shirt for signing up. Here's one more. So I went to college, and I borrowed from my, by my, my degree. I didn't need it. I said, oh, it'd be nice to have that money, right? And then we just spent it, and then we owed it. We had to pay it back. It was painful, and uh, I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. And then my kids went to college, and then during the college visitation day, they took my kid and said, we're going to take them on a tour over here to talk about student loans. You know, it's just part of the day's curriculum. It's fine. And they took the parents and put them over here and talked about parent loans. And for the next hour and a half, a college that I dearly, dearly love talked to both groups of you about how they should borrow money to go here. And I was mortified. At this point, I had worked to pay off my student loan debt, and I didn't want any more debt, and I didn't want my kids to have debt, and I'm like, why are they programmatically selling debt? Here's why. Debt is a product. Debt is a product. And if you don't believe me, then why do they charge you for it? Why are you paying for debt? It's not a feature. It's not a favor. It's not a friend. It's not a gift. It's a loan. Here's what I want to say to you about the borrower, slave, to the lender. This is what I would hope, and maybe, you know, listen, fine, you do you, but I hope that at some point you get to where the debt makes you itch. You just, you know that scratchy sweater you, ah, keeps you warm, but you just don't like to be in it? It makes you feel uncomfortable? That's where I've gotten. I, I, I don't judge anybody who has debt, man. We all have some debt, but it should make us uncomfortable. What are we doing what do we do when we teach our kids to do that? All right. Don't follow the crowd. Think for yourself. That is product. Number three, start, start where you are. Start where you are, right? So now I've told this whole thing, but we're going to go back to the beginning. Wherever you are is okay. The, the journey starts with a step. Wherever you're standing right now, don't feel like there's no hope for you because I can guarantee you this. There's hope for all of us. Just like in our life of faith, our life of financial responsibility, we can start right where we are, no matter what, okay? First um, Timothy 6.6 6 says, some think that godliness is a means to financial gain. We're going to unpack that in a minute. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I want to set on the back part of that verse for a minute. Godliness with contentment, it means being okay where you are, recognizing that God is sovereign. Right? Godliness, by the way, not holiness. So it's an eye toward what God is doing, an aspiration to be faithful in the moment, but to be content with what you, where you are. I always say this about uh, our personal finances. Um, it's a math problem, and there's two solutions. You can, you can make more or want less. You can make more or want less. I know people are telling you you can want more and make more and want more and make more, and, you know, just just. For most of us mortal human beings, I think for all of us eventually, 
That's the math problem. But the first part of that is equally important. It says some think that godliness is a, a means to financial gain. If I'm just holy, if I'm just faithful enough, if I just pray the right prayer, then God is going to abundantly bless me with everything, right? Man, there's a bunch of passages about this. We're going to talk about one, but if we aren't faithful, I said if you got a dollar, you're going to do with it. Why would we, why would we not deserve more, but why, why could we be responsible with more? Like if we can't be responsible with a little bit, you know, how can you be responsible with more? Um, this passage is written to pastors, ironically, and it's talking about people who are, who, are, who are taking advantage because of their role. And they're like, some people think that godliness is a means, a way to financial gain, but that's not what it is. No. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what we're, we learn. So wherever we are, we can trust God. By the way, I would say that our, our stewardship or our faithfulness with the things that God has entrusted to us is a spiritual act. It's an act of faith, right? So how we handle our finances is a matter of what we believe about the world that we live in. And if we dissect those things and think, well, my faith has nothing to do with my financial side, my financial side has nothing to do with my faith, we're just being deceived. We're deceiving ourselves. That's not how that works. So godliness with contentment is great gain. Start wherever you are, and that's okay. Fourth one, own the responsibility, and this is kind of the point of this week, to take responsibility for whatever we have, the debt we have, the current situation we have, the future that we have, that we would take responsibility for it, that we would own that. I, I, I didn't put take responsibility because it's not like we're, it's not like we're um, snatching something from a bucket, but it's rather we're, we're saying, I already have it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to own it. There's some great resources out of late, I've noticed, that are like, basically, take responsibility. Not take like wrestle it, but just own it. Yeah, I screwed up. Yeah, that was my mistake. Yeah, I could have done better. Yeah, I need to change. Yeah, I need to grow. And one of the ways we can do that is taking responsibility or um, owning responsibility, I keep saying it wrong, for the things that we have, for the things that God has already entrusted to our care. Because here's the truth. If you look, you will notice you, God has entrusted you to more than we often give him credit for. There's a great line. I've told you this before, but um, when someone says, how are you doing? Better than I deserve, right? Jesus is teaching his disciples in Matthew 6, and he says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you can't serve both God and money. And it says that explicitly, like in Jesus' teaching. You're going to decide who you're going to serve. Do you think that godliness is a path of financial gain? Or do you think that godliness with contentment is great gain? Do you think that our money is called to serve God? And I don't mean this in like, I'm, listen, this is not going to build some pledge of like give to the church. It's not what I'm doing. But do we think that the things we're entrusted to our care are meant to glorify God in our lives? Or do you think that God in our lives is meant to bring us more stuff? You can't pursue both things. You're going to love one and hate the other, Jesus says. Or you're going to despise one and be devoted to the other. But you can't serve both. You will serve one God. And the question will be, is your God going to be God himself or our financial stability? So we're going to talk about that. Taking responsibility for where we are. Taking accountability for what we have. What God has entrusted to us already. Already. 
Here's a bit more of an exposition of this. This is in the Gospel of Matthew uh, 14 and 15. We're going to jump around. I'm not being unfair to the text. There's more teaching here. You've heard it before. But this is what Jesus said. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man who goes away on a journey, who, who calls his servants to himself and has entrusted his property to their care. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and another he gave one talent, each according to their own ability. And then he went about his journey. By the way, a talent here, I love the word talent because it's like talents, right? But it's a financial means. It's you get five, you get five dollars, you get one dollar, but everybody gets something to manage while I'm gone. And then that, that king goes way on a journey. I'm going to skip down now to um, verse 19, and that's what the word says. After a long time away, the master of those servants returned and began to settle accounts with them. So there's a day coming where we will be given a reckoning for the way we handle what was entrusted to our care. That's the teaching that Jesus is teaching here. And, and, and here's the last thing I want to share from this, and this is in verse 21. And you all know these words. It says, his master then replied, and just who's his master here? It's the faithful steward, the faithful servant, the one who did something with what was entrusted to his care. He said, the master said to this one, well done, good and faithful servant. Listen to the word. You've been faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Come, share in, come and share in your master's happiness. So... Um, Owning our responsibility is that knowing that we've been given things to care for and being responsible with those. So as much as it's like, well, this stuff is hard, it's important. And there is a time of reckoning of what did we do. I, I told you already, you know, you've been told you're going to earn over a million dollars in your life, over 1.6. And depending on where you are, in the, I know some of us are older and like I'm toward the end. But you know what? Actually, truthfully, you earn more the closer you get to the end. Your greatest earning is right before you retire usually. So, so, like, wherever you are on this journey, you, you, you've probably, and you go, well, but you still have some responsibility. But if you're young and you're here, you're just starting. What would it look like to be responsible over many years? Um, there's an accountability coming, and then here's the word, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few, you're going to get more, but that's not the point. Listen to the word, it says, come and join in your master's happiness. To know what it's like to be a generous giver, to know what it's like to live and not worry about it, to know what it's like as a millionaire who's not a lover of money, obsessed with money. I'm preaching that to myself, by the way. I'm just saying, this is the goal. Not that any of us have cheated, this is the goal. And then fifth, then, so own responsibility. Fifth, stick to your plan. And I can't say it enough, stick to your plan. We've talked about writing down what you owe, writing down where you're at and where you want to be, writing, writing down what you own, but then have your plan. And don't let someone else tell you what you should be doing. Do what you think you're called to do on purpose. Do it on purpose. I said it's a spiritual thing. Invite God into the process. God, what should I do? What should I pursue? What would you have me do? And then be faithful to that. A couple more verses here as we close out. Um, Proverbs 21.5 says this. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as speed leads to poverty. <laughs> I want to put that in here because I don't want you to think there's a get rich quick scheme. 
there's not even necessarily a get-rich-slowly scheme. There's a long-term be-responsible scheme with whatever you've had to manage. That's the scheme. The diligent lead to pro- The plans of the diligent lead to profit or abundance. It's not an instantaneous thing. It's a faithfulness over a lifetime. Can I tell you something? You know one of the things that's encouraged me so much? is watch people have gone before me whenever I was, a, I was a mess. Not that I'm not a mess now, but I was a bigger mess than I am now, if you can believe a time in my life like that. But I looked at people who were diligent over the long term, and they became the people I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to live within my means. I want to be able to be generous when an opportunity comes up. I want to not fight about money all the time. We just fight about it once a month. Pick a time to fight, and we're done with it. We're fighting, not fighting the rest of the month. People who've gone on before me, the diligent, living out their own plans. I didn't mimic the plans, but I saw that, and I'm like, that's my aspiration. I want to be a source of stability in this chaotic world full of foreclosures and debt and brokenness. Maybe you do too. Well, stick to your plan. Here's another one, Proverbs 13, 22. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. What? Uh, Read that again. A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. That's their grandchildren, not their children. Their grandchildren's inheritance. And there's more going on here. Don't say this is not about finances only. It's about everything. You're leaving an inheritance, a blessing. But a sinner's wealth, there it is, is stored up for the righteous. I had this theory, right? I talked about credit cards earlier and stuff. That money runs to the people who are are being responsible, they're doing things on purpose. And the sad thing about the credit card situation is those companies are doing it on purpose. It's not an accident that you love your credit card. It's not an accident that you love to order from Amazon. Jeff Bezos loves it too. Right? They're just pull, It's like a big tarp or something. They're just pulling it down and everything's just funneling toward it. Because they're being diligent and responsible. Am I saying go be Bezos or go be a credit? No, I'm saying let's be responsible for our own. Let's not so easily chase down the rabbit trail that the world has set out for us to chase down. Stopping and thinking. Um, and, then, and then one final passage here. This is from 1 Timothy um, 6. And uh, I have it up here, yeah. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, <laughs> like the word, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Uh, Solomon said something similar. He said, if you can live your life and enjoy your work and your wealth, you're a blessed person, right? So command those, but look what it says, and this is like my own rebuke at the end of this, not to be arrogant. As I was preparing this series, I'm like, I don't want, I'm just trying to, encourage everyone else to be diligent. I'm not saying I've done it perfectly at all, but we're on the path. But don't be arrogant, Bill, about where you're at. Don't put your hope in wealth, right? You're going to serve God or money. You can't serve both. I have no interest in serving money. I want to serve God. But it's, it's so uncertain. But rather put there, what's the word say, our, your hope in God who richly blesses those with everything for our enjoyment. And one of the things that's really interesting about this is, you know, Jesus was teaching, he said, the poor you'll always have with you, but you won't always have to be poor. 
You see that there's always going to be somebody who needs help. But you don't always have to be the one. We have an opportunity. We've been blessed. We've been given a lot and trusted to our care. And we can start right where we are, right where we are. It's an opportunity to stick to our plan. So that's where we're going to stop for today. We're going to then lean into next week. To Now we're, we're taking responsibility. This can't, now your homework is to go home and do all that stuff, right? Just go home and do it real quick. Come back next week and we'll talk about the rest of it. That's not how that works. I mentioned at the announcement time, we're going to try to start a class called Finance Peace University. A couple things by disclosure. We get nothing out of this except we get to spend our time teaching it, right? There's no kickback or nothing like that. It's not some advantage. It's a tool, and it's not even a unique tool. It's a tool that was built over with a bunch of other tools to be a common tool of, what is it, nine baby steps to financial stability, and it starts super simple. Um, I want you to consider maybe coming. If you've come before, you know the deal. You can come. It, it's just your attendance is all that's required. If you've not come before, I think the kits are like 90 bucks or $98 a kit. Get your workbook to follow along. Everything else is provided. That being said, if you go, man, that sounds awesome, but who has 98 bucks? Talk to me. Talk to me. Because we all have something, and we, the important thing is that we would walk through it. Now, someone asked me as we were preparing, they said, are you going to make everybody in the church go through the financial piece? No. No. If you don't want to go through it, don't go through it. I've been, we've done it a whole bunch of times at Family Bible Church. And if you've gone through it, you're like, meh, you're not doing it? Okay. But if you haven't, and if you've been thinking about it, I'd encourage you to consider it. Here's what we're going to do. If we have interest... And meaning, if there's one of you who wants to do this, we're going to have it here on Sundays, either right after service and provide lunch or of an evening, whatever works better for whoever's in the class. So we can do either one of those things, and we will have this material. The classes last about an hour, an hour and a half maybe, and then you have homework every week. It's a nine-week class. When I took it, it was 13 weeks. 13 weeks was, you know, you're, you're not going to get through everything in nine weeks, but you're going to get started. I can't encourage you enough to do it. In the meantime, whether you do that or not, I encourage you to do this. Trust God. Trust God. We said we got through 2022, and here we are in 2023 by the grace of God. I love that song we sang. We're marching on. We're marching on. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for your providential um, provisions for us, the, the fact that you have abundantly poured out blessings on all people, and, and, Father, that you are calling us to be um, stewards. And, Father, what I don't really want is to just have, like, oh, this is, you know that you are the rain maker. You're the provider. You cause the crops to grow. You cause the world to turn. You cause the stars to shine. And, Father, in all that, you take care of us. Like the lilies of the field, you dress us. You tell us not to worry about these things. Help us to learn to be faithful without worrying. Help us to learn to be good, diligent stewards. Father, here's the prayer. In this world, it seems so full of chaos and charlatans taking advantage that we, instead of focusing on that, would be people who would bring um, some consistency and some diligence, some faithfulness. And then, Father, for any, anything that... Um, is of you that you would cause that to stick today, that, that maybe someone here is being called to trust you for the first time or trust you with finances or look at the big problem or um, right, you know, record what we, what we have and not be irresponsible for our uh, 
our errors. Help us to be faithful, Father, in these things that you might be glorified. Ultimately, we know this, that eternity is with you and all provision is made and we'll want for nothing. We'll be with you. Help us to live with our eyes fixed on that reality. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.